0: Would you all join me in thanking our band this morning, <laughs> wherever they are, they left the building with Elvis, but uh, it's amazing to me how much talent we have, that, that was Emily Clark, who is our uh, traditional, director of traditional uh, music, and she just stepped right in with Brian out of town, and, and then Drew Feltz just picked up the, the bass where, uh, where Johnny left off last week, so just amazing. Have you ever noticed how dogs are much better at taking responsibility for their actions than humans are? We have a dog, a uh, chocolate lab in Georgia, and whenever I say, Georgia, did you do this? Even if there was nothing that was done, she will come right over and she'll say, yeah, I did it, whatever it was, I did it, yeah, and then roll over and, oh, you rub my belly now. You know, and, and so dogs are, 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 are ready to connect with relationship. Even when they've done something wrong, they, they're ready to repent. They're, they're ready to, um, to take ownership for what they've done. Not so much humans. Edison, Edison famously said that you know, the inventor of the light bulb, uh, somewhere in the middle of trying to invent the incandescent bulb, he said, I haven't failed 700 times. I've just discovered 700 ways not to invent the light bulb, right? Now, I love the persevering nature of that, that, uh, hey, we're not going to be defeated. That's a good thing. But let's, let's turn that just a little bit and to see how important it is to say that the way that we were doing it isn't the way we want to keep doing it. And that means being able, having the ability to look at our failures and To call a spade a spade, to say, this isn't what I was made for. I'm settling for something less than who I am. And to be able to, to say that I'm not going to be defined by my failures, and at the same time, calling them what they are and not candying it up in some way. That's the invitation. That's the invitation and and that's the lifestyle of the Christian. And even before Christ came and walked on this earth, even before he he became the Messiah, the ultimate sacrifice, Israel understood that their, their life and their heart does not belong to themselves but belongs to God. And there were were times in Israel's life when they had a king that had a heart after God, like they say, of David. And there are times in Israel's life, in the Old Testament stories, where that wasn't the case. More often than not, Israel was being led by a king that did not manifest the hope that the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would bring. And so the Hero Series, again, it, it signals to us that we're called to look beyond ourselves. And when we do, we find our heart's true home. When Israel does, when we see Israel having a king or, a, or some kind of heroic figure that looks and points beyond themselves, life gets better. They begin to thrive. Today, we're going to look at Josiah, one of those good kings, one of those kings that looked beyond himself, one of those kings that brought restoration back to Israel. And it began with a temple to clear it out. There were idols everywhere. And in the middle of this, uh, restoration after king after king after king, idol after idol had been introduced. All of this, what's called syncretism, where it's just sort of, doesn't matter what you believe, you know, this is where we are today. Doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere, right? Right? Uh, Just sincerely turn left on red or whatever it is, you know, just doesn't matter what you believe, um, you know, just be sincere. That's where we are today. This kind of syncretism had infected the life of, of Israel and was in the temple. And as they began to clear out the temple, all of the cobwebs to restore the temple, they made a profound and amazing discovery, a discovery that allowed Israel to begin to do something that you and I are called to do, to repent. repent. From the word of God, Second Kings chapter 22, I'm going to start with verse three. In the 18th year of King Josiah, he, he took the, by the way, he, he, he took the throne at uh, age eight, so he's 26 years old. the king. Uh, "...sent Shaphan, the son of Azalia, the son of Meshulam, the secretary, to the house of the Lord, saying, "'Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord.'" which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. So they're in the middle of this project to restore the temple. And let it be given into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters, and to the builders, and to the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them For the money that is delivered into their hands. For they deal honestly. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. There's another version that kind of orders the sentence a little differently, a little bit more dramatically, where it just says, um, we have found a book. We've looked in the house of the Lord and we have found found something. Kind of strange. A book. And, and probably what this is, is Deuteronomy, which Deuteronomy is, is the summary or the recounting of what happens in, uh, of the laws as accounted in the Pentateuch. And I have, found, uh, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and read it. And Shaphan, uh, the secretary, came to the king, reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it. Into the hands of the workmen who have an oversight of the house of the Lord. Shaphan the secretary said to the king, Hilkiah the high priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he did something really strange. He tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and, and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Akbor, the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan, the secretary and Isaiah, the, the king's servant, saying, I know there's a lot of names, but you know, one of the things that, that I just to pause here, one of the things that I, I'm reminded of when I see all these random names, it's like, what is all this? you know? And it's probably uh, that uh, somebody has recounted this accurately <laughs> with all of these names. That these were the people that were involved. Hikam and Shaphan and Akbor and the son of Micaiah and Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the, the king's servant. And go inquire the Lord from me, for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book, to do according to all that is written concerning us. Let's pray together. God, would you bless us now, not only to uh, understand this word, but also to receive it into our hearts and live it with our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Repentance means to turn, to turn simply that. And so today I want to look at how uh, Josiah models for us repentance. He turns away and he turns toward. To turn away and to turn toward. To repent is to turn away from something and to turn toward something else. So we're going to look at turning away and turning toward. First, turning away. Edison I, I, persevering spirit, I love it. I love, the, I love the attitude and the spirit that says, look, we're not going to be defeated. But the Christian can go a step further and say, this was a failure. I've said to you before that if you're not failing regularly, you're not trying hard enough, right? But for the Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, the hope that you have is that, that, that your failures are not final. They do not define you. And so the reason that we, we turn away and we have the power in repentance to turn away is, is that our failures are not final because, because we recognize that seeing something that's a failure is seeing that we're participating in something that's less than who we're called to be. And so even in looking and naming the spade a spade, we're actually doing that in the name of the hope that we're not going to be defined by our failures. But we're going to see them for what they are. The, the believer has the hope and therefore has the power to fully repent, to have godly sorrow, as Sloan read at the beginning of the, uh, of the service, to have a, a, a real sense, not a, not a worldly sorrow, not, oh, I'm sad, I got caught, <laughs> but a godly sorrow that says, I have been participating in something that is less than the dignity of my humanity. And so the the power is in repentance for the believer who has hope that our failures are not final because we recognize that in the failure, we're acknowledging that we are not defined by our failures. And in fact, we have settled for something less than what we're called to be. That's why why, uh, Josiah... Tears his robes. Right. This isn't Superman. Right. He's not saying <laughs> I scored a touchdown. Like, yeah. He's, he, what he's saying is, he he's saying, I am. I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to look at and I'm going to call what this what this is. This is a failure. We have failed. Our fathers. Our pattern in Israel's life has been has been deplorable, and so he tears his robes. Now think of. Of, of what what clothing represents the Old Testament represents you go back to Genesis and you see um, you know, um, Adam and Eve are, are hiding because they 're naked right and they 're not on a date okay I mean this is I mean they are naked and they are running away from God. Uh, that was a reference to a very horrible um, never mind so um, so they, they're, they're hiding behind fig leaves. And what does God do? The first sacrifice in Scripture, he kills animals and he, he clothes them. He clothes their shame. What happens when, um, when um, Joseph is, uh, it, you know, the youngest son of, uh, of Jacob, is thrown into the cistern and, and, and his brothers come back? And, and the oldest brother tears his clothes because he realizes in grief that he has participated in something that's, that's horrid. What he's doing is he's exposing himself, exposing his shame. In his grief, he's exposing his shame. Not hiding it, but exposing it. Well, that's a powerful thing to see happen because what he's saying is it, it, it's, it's a little bit like what, what Freud is saying, Freud is saying, uh, you know, if, if you study psychology, you know, Freud uh, talks about the id and the ego and that there are two, uh, two different warring um, consciences in us. Which one is going to win? For the Christian, it's to say that if, if I am in grief and I'm, I'm not just ashamed of being caught, but I'm ashamed that I've been participating, I've settled for less than who I am. That means it, it's signaling to us that there is a soul, there's some, that there's somebody in you that, that has hope, that your failures are not final. Let me, let me explain this another way. Uh, when I was growing up, and I, I remember a certain time, I, I realized that I, I really wanted people to like me, and so I was always trying to say something funny, and it was all about trying to get people uh, to like me. And I realized one day, I said, you know what? I don't always like me. I thought that would be funnier than that. (laughs) But I guess you'll agree. Um, (laughs) No, I, I mean, seriously, I don't always like me. How can I expect everyone to always like me? It was such a freeing thing to say, I don't have to have everybody always like me. I don't always like me. But here's the hopeful thing in that thought. When I realized I don't always like me, that means there's a me. There's a me in there that can see the war. And there's a me in there that's sort of like, as, as, a, as a Lincoln said, uh, our better angels. You know, to listen to your better angels. There is a, there's a soul and there is a hopeful life in you. Paul puts it this way in Romans 7. 7 he says this, seven nine. he says, I was once alive apart from the law. All right, what does that mean? I was once alive apart from the law. But when... The commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Does that mean, so he goes through this whole argument in Romans 7. Is it the law? That, is that the problem? As long as we don't have the law, then, then we're not going to be held to any kind of standard? He says, well, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteousness and good. Well, here's what what he's saying. He's saying it's not just a battle of equals, of the ego and the id, as Freud said. But what he's saying is there is a true self. And see, this is what Josiah is recognizing. Josiah is is realizing that the law is, is a grace. A lot of times we think of law over here and grace over here. The law is a grace because when the law is telling you you're settling for something less than you are, you are dignifying something that is very undignified. You're participating in something that is less than your full humanity. That is a grace. It's a grace to be confronted. It's a grace to have things pointed out. It is the grace of God that, that pricks our hearts and tells us that we are have erred, that we've strayed, that we're broken people. Because only in in acknowledging that there's a problem can we begin to turn from that, to turn away from it, with the hope that our failures are not final, with the the hope that what Paul is saying is, I died, I'm going to die to that self. You see, this is the confusing and often difficult thing to talk about because this is where you get to the place of mystery. What what happens there, Tim? Well, I, I don't really know. I can't really tell you. All of that we're saying is, is that as Jesus says to uh, to Nicodemus, that when you begin to trust that in, in God, when you, you begin to recognize that, that there are there's this, these warring factions within you, when you turn away from the one and you begin to put your trust in the life that is offered to you, that mysteriously God does begin to to give you power and strength, to fully turn from that. To say, you know, that's, that's not who I'm called to be. And it's, and it's not to try hard. It's not to get on the try harder treadmill. This is what a lot of us do. I'm sort of tempted to moonwalk here, but a lot of people just sort of uh, get on this try harder treadmill. It's like, oh, wait, I see what I'm doing over this way, and this stinks. And so I'm going to try harder, right? I'm going to try harder. And get on this try harder treadmill. That's not what's happening here. That's not what we're being called to here. Don't miss the gospel here. Let me, let me read to you a quotation from a guy named Lawrence, known as Brother Lawrence. He was a humble little cook in a uh, monastery uh, centuries ago. He said this, that many do not advance in Christian progress, right? You turn from, turn. That, the reason why he's saying that many do not advance in Christian progress, is because they stick in penances. In other words, they just get on the try-harder treadmill. And particular exercises. So he's saying they're, they're very religious. While they neglect the love of God, which is the end. That this appeared plainly by their works, and was the reason why we see so little solid virtue. You see, you think of the addiction cycle that we have that's getting worse and worse and worse in our country. And so often, we're filling that void with something and when we try to, to step away from it, we're, just, we're stepping and we're creating a vacuum and we don't know what belongs in that vacuum. And so you can't just turn away from something, you have to know what you're turning towards. Josiah understood what he was turning towards. He understood that there is a desire, and that desire matches up with something, something powerful. As C.S. Lewis says, the fact that our hearts yearn for something that earth cannot provide is proof that heaven must be our home. You see, you're not just turning away from something and just getting on the try harder treadmill. There is a desire, a deep, deep desire that matches up with our heart's true home. I remember being in St. Louis the first time and standing under the arch. And I was by myself and I looked up at this thing and I thought, the grandeur of this thing. Have you ever stood under the, under the arch and saw? I mean, it's a work of art. In its scale, it's just, it's just hard to even wrap your mind around that human beings produce this thing. And, and it just in terms of how it's engineered, it's just, it's just beyond. I mean, it's, it's somebody's equation that came off of a page and into reality. We strive. The human spirit is, is, is a marvelous thing. And so for us to settle for something less than our heart's true desire is called idolatry. It's when we take things of this earth, God's good gifts, and we try to put them in the place of God. It's when we, we take things that are, are temporal and we try to put them up there as ultimate. And, and we keep turning away from them and we get on the try harder treadmill saying, I don't want to, to, uh, to desire that thing anymore. And, and you, you, you feel that cycle, you know, whatever it is, that, whatever pattern you're in, and you try to get away from that pattern. And if you don't know what you're turning towards, you're just going to create a frustration cycle for yourself. You see? It's not just enough. Repentance isn't just turning away, it's turning towards. Josiah recognized that when the law was read to him, it was speaking to a place in him that was calling him to a nobility and an honor and a vision for human life that was bigger than what he was participating in. That Israel had been broken. And was being called to be restored. Josiah recognized, even as the psalmist said, he said, Oh, how I love your law. <laughs> Isn't that a strange thing? How does, how, how does anybody say, I love your law? It's kind of like saying, Oh, how I love walking uphill, right? Right? Oh, how I love just taking step after step uphill, except when you know that there's a summit ahead of you. Don't you love it then? Don't you see the benefit and the purpose of it? It's not to earn something. It's not to say, I'm going to turn away and get on the try harder treadmill uphill, right? Just to slide back down again. It's to say, I'm being called upward. I'm being called up to a dignity and to a a nobility for which I was designed. And that taps in. When it taps in, to desire. See, this is what Josiah recognizes, and this is why it's heroic, because his desire is not to be somebody better. His desire is to have his heart satisfied, right? As, um, as one pastor says, a famous pastor, he says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Today we we are afraid of missing out, FOMO, fear of missing out, right? And like the syncretism of the age of this age of Israel that Josiah steps in, we have a little of this and a little of that. We see that perspective when we try to incorporate it and we want this thing and we are in a frenzy in so many different directions. We end up settling. We fill our heart. As Calvin said, Calvin said that the, heart, the human heart is an idol factory. An idol factory. We're so prone to taking God's good gifts and making them ultimate things and putting our hope there. But when we turn away, not just turn away, not just to get on the, 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 the treadmill, right? The try harder treadmill. But when we understand that the law and the purpose of it is to tap into your desire for the greater thing, then we can begin to have the motivation to keep going in the repentance direction. Well, see, that's, that's what this table and this meal is all about. It's a place to come boldly, Right? Boldly to say, this is fully. I'm going to look fully at my failure and say, Lord, I'm bringing it to this table, and 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 to see that there's a there's a hope here at this table. It says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, even the law. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our heavenly Father, how we thank you for this simple meal, and we pray that you would set it aside now, sanctify it as holy, that as we receive this bread and, and from this cup, we might experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.